Welcome back, Calm listeners. This is Methodical Millions, where you can better your future and better yourself. Cal, let's welcome another awesome guest today. Everyone listening, please say hello to David from peoplesway.org. David, how's it going today? It's going well, John, Cal. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're absolutely pumped to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. So what gets you excited about life? Ooh, that's a really profound question. I think at 27 years old, it's about building community. I think I've taken that to an extreme by trying to connect Ghana, Africa to North America. So I think I wake up every day with that on my mind and that on my heart. And I'm just trying to do deals to make it happen and execute as best I can. That's really, really cool. My neighbor's from Ghana, so he's going to love listening to this episode. And- oh, wow. I'd love to visit there one day. Were you born there? I was not born there. I was born in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, and I lived in the U.S. for most of my life. Both of my parents are from Ghana, though. Cal went to university in Montreal, actually. Tell the story, Cal. Yeah, I was only there for three years, and then after that, I moved to Toronto. But I can't speak any French, though, so it's a bit different. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm not sure how long you've stayed there for. I was only there for a few years, and then in, like, 2000, we moved to the U.S. My dad's work. He's a civil engineer. I went back to Montreal for a year and a half but I've been back in the U.S. since like Christmas of last year. So your family's from Ghana. What gave you the ambition to say that something like this is possible to connect the two and how are you kind of linking that and what are you working on? Well, the name of our firm is People's Way, so you mentioned that. And so it's an investment firm, technology company, and a venture studio. And so how we're looking at our situation is we want to create this community of people who are going to benefit from our real estate portfolio. So our real estate portfolio, first project is a fully sustainable, ecological, smart city in Ghana, Africa. It's a residential, commercial, real estate. It's all the amenities you need in a full service city that you can imagine. And so from the U.S., we want to be able to provide like banking services and fintech services and like a business and leisure environment for any professionals that are looking for ways to streamline their supply chain or meet other like-minded individuals. So we're creating this ecosystem of a ton of different investment opportunities, bringing people on board with their expertise, hopes that they find something that they're passionate about that they can contribute to the greater microeconomy. That's amazing. I've heard some things with specifically fintech, and I think it was how in some places where you can't build traditional brick and mortar, you have to build mobile phone style banking and all these other things. So are there new ways of looking at things? We have to look 50, 100 years into the future. I think when you consider the emerging markets, Ghana specifically, for example, the road infrastructure is not at a place where you can depend on having brick and mortar bank branches. And so we've had to innovate and implement technologies like mobile money, which is like cell phone financial services. But that has set a platform for us to look, okay, well, what else can we innovate on? And we think the ICT, we think implementing blockchain, we think having an integrated banking ecosystem that makes our facility accessible to virtually anyone is the future of how we want to go about implementing our change and our mission. Very bold. And I think that's the way to tackle passion and do something cool because we only have a hundred years on this earth. So why not make it memorable, right? And make a difference. So was this just spark as an idea one day, or do you have a team and did you raise a bunch of money? Are you funding local entrepreneurs in the Ghana region? Do you guys fly down and do pitches? I'm curious about how that works. I think I'll start by saying I've been an entrepreneur since I was 16 years old. 
I started off buying and selling things, flipping things. Then I started fixing iPhones, MacBooks, and I had a regional IT business going into college. And as that continued to develop and expand, I fell in love with photography. Photography led me into a marketing business. And I had like my university, I had the Buffalo Bills, a modeling agency in New York City as clients. Then one day after I graduated, I had come across a small Christian K through 12 school in Olean, New York. And my heart was just so drawn to the school. It was an international school. They had done work in Ghana. They were taking trips there every year. And so I just felt so convicted to work with this company. For the last four or five years, I've been volunteering there. I made my entire MBA program about how to help this small Christian school grow. And as I was doing my research and feasibility study, I realized, look, there's a greater need in this small city with a population of like 18,000 at the time. There's a greater need for a community center here, a communal place where everyone can come for whatever it is that they need. If they want to hang out with friends, if they want to take courses, if they need to rent office space, we can hold events, conferences. So I had this big vision for this, and it was a $50 million project. And so I went to a professor investor and I said, look, this is my vision. This is how I think it can help the community. I'm going to bring 20,000 people here in the next couple of years, a ton of jobs, all this, right? This grand plan. And so she challenged me to scale it back, scale it down, figure out truly how to go about this. Really, she just wanted me to be a lean startup. And so I took some time and I did that and went back to her. She gave me some money to implement this and I started doing my research. And then I just realized, look, no one's going to give me that much cash. So I went home and started talking to my dad, who's a civil engineer. And we kind of just started saying, well, David, if this is what you want to achieve, how can we go about this? Then we started looking at Ghana, where obviously my family's from. My mom is very well connected there in terms of lineage. So we started exploring opportunities there. And then we got two pieces of land. We really knew we were in business. So we started drawing up, well, how do we fill this land? My dad is a dreamer. He's a visionary. He kind of went with the smart city vision. And then that's the foundation. We just started building on top of that. In terms of how much we raised, we raised 2.1 million so far, about 2 million from friends and family, and then 100,000 from two investors who are also kind of like friends, I consider them. And so from April to September of this month, I went to Ghana, I presented to everyone I could, I presented to government. Our 1,718 acres is now 26,404.22 acres. And we have approvals from government to construct our smart city and to implement a banking and ICT network system strategy. That's absolutely fantastic. And I think you've come a really long way. And I'm just in awe at how ambitious and how much progress you've made because it seems like it went from an idea to action plan to execution very fast. So it looks like you lit a fire under the school's dream and ran with it. And now it's becoming a reality. That's amazing. Unfortunately, I'm terrible with geography and I can't even tell you how big an acre is. So where does Ghana sit for the people who haven't been there geographically? What's it neighboring? And you know, how much is 26,000 acres anyways? Like it seems like a big, big plot of land. It is. It is. So an acre is about the size of a football field. And so we have 26,000 of them. So it's 1.15 billion square feet of land. Ghana, in terms of geographic, so it's right on the Gulf of Guinea, the bottom or the southern coast. Um, the capital of Ghana is Accra, and our first plot of land is 18 kilometers east of Accra, right on the water. That adds some perspective. That's awesome. And is this a $100 million project for this smart city, or is it an ongoing feed the beast style, like hit different stages? And then is the goal to build up like an economic city so that it's self-sustaining? 
what do you envision? Is it like a not-for-profit? I'm curious what the structure here is because I think you're doing something very innovative where in Toronto, I just never thought about, let's say I go in the outskirts of Ontario to start an eco city, I'm probably going to get thrown in jail. That's my impression. (laughs) I don't even know. So kudos to you for even coming up with this and going to governments and saying, I'm going to do this. But can you kind of outline that whole vision and what do you see success look like? So I want to preface by saying that there is no true standard definition for what a smart city is. It's really just ones or groups best attempt at being sustainable. And obviously sustainability can mean anything these days. But for us, it means providing a platform and facilities that are accessible to all people, right? We want a global tourist population and the demographic that's associated with that. We also want people who maybe are not as fortunate and would not typically be able to afford the amenities provided in a world-class brand new smart city. But those people, we are trying to implement a system where we can work with them, come up with a long-term investment plan to provide them access to our facility. So whatever amenities they need that suit their situation. And then whether they need employment or they need an education, we will work with them to implement those services into their investment plan. And then being this world-class facility where we want everyone to have access to everything, we want to provide medical services too. Right now, Ghana has a project that they're working on, and they're trying to build a ton of hospitals. So one of our first projects is, I think, like a $350 million hospital medical research manufacturing facility. I'm trying to understand the scope of it. So is this whole project like a not-for-profit or... Is it going to mesh with the government so that it's going to be like a pseudo-government support system? And then what's the end goal? Is there a completion point where everything is developed? And at what point do you stop taking investors and grow? And like, I'm curious what that feedback loop looks like as you kind of go through things. So our venture is a private business. It's not a government project. Government has been great in assisting us with different ministries the different regulatory frameworks that we need to abide by. But they've been great in that sense. But then again, like infrastructure projects of this scope and size, there's no way to implement these things and provide power, electricity, water to your facility without government. So we're working hand in hand with them, but it is a private project. Certain components of the venture will be not for profit. For example, maybe a medical facility or a university. But the greater venture is definitely for profit. In the end, It's three different satellite cities that are connected with infrastructure. On one end, it's just private toll road. And on another end, connecting with Accra, the main city, our vision is an electric SkyTrain. So 15, 20 years from now, really just based on the speed that we can raise capital at, and obviously being able to leverage off our cash flows once we get up and running, will definitely allow us to build and construct faster. Wow. I'm just super amazed. You're like the next Elon Musk reinventing Ghana. This is amazing. So what's your background in school? What made you so ambitious and make those steps? It looks like you really believe that anything can be accomplished. That's the sense I get. I love the energy. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a family that was quite ambitious. My dad, he built bridges and hydro dams around the world through his engineering career. I think over the years, he would pour into me from time to time and just give me a foundation to understand what it means to be a civil engineer, to be an architect, to be an urban planner. As a basketball player and someone who's played basketball throughout my life, that at the time was a priority. 
So I did study business administration, management, social economics, and those things I think were in line with my passion. The project sounds absolutely amazing stuff from dreams and all the best to you with that. I'm really, really excited to see what's to come next. And if you don't mind sharing perhaps what your plan is, maybe the next step would be around $100 million to raise. So what kind of investor would you be approaching? And what would be, for example, your minimum contribution amount? Are you targeting maybe high net worth individuals or certain companies? What kind of people are you targeting to invest into this project? Sovereign wealth funds, hedge funds, private equity funds, VC funds from a technology standpoint. We're open to anyone and everyone. Creating a smart city with the vastness of the amount of capital that we're raising, we have to be very diligent about our KYC and our AML. And so I think that has slowed down our process a lot. Glad that we're where we are because we've done everything we can to make sure this thing operates the right way. But that being said, I think our minimum investment to date in the greater portfolio was $100,000. I think if somebody wants to do something smaller as an individual, that's a conversation we can have one-on-one. But I am in talks with some firms about $500 million plus investments at the moment. Right on. So what is it? The investing laws in the U.S., you have to be accredited. So for our listeners, I think it's like a million dollars in your bank or make $200,000 a year for the last three years. And I think there's a course coming out you can take to kind of bypass that. But are you only looking for people who are in that accredited investor status or can people throw $1,000 in on like a project like this? Where do you stand with that? We're exploring emergent technologies, specifically blockchain, in ways that the general public will be able to participate in our goals and our vision. And it's all I can really say now, but it's going to be exciting. Yeah, totally. Because it might screw up your whole KYC thing, AML thing, but crypto, these market caps, you know, if you launch a smart city coin specific to growing smart cities to improve the world, that's a coin that will have a tangible use case. And you know, if you look at the 2017 ICO movement, people were raising $200 million on projects that didn't have any tangible products. Right. You hear stories of, it's almost like the swindlers and the get rich quick scheme. It's an absurd amount of money if you don't know what to do with it. Like, I don't think anyone needs that kind of money on your own, really. You're going to buy a yacht or something. So the ambitions there, crypto is interesting because you tap into almost like the emerging market of the upcoming investor, right? So people who don't own a U.S. bank account who are not accredited. Just the compounding effect of people throwing, like, it's very popular for people to send money back home from North America through like a Western Union or all this kind of thing. And people throw a huge portion of their paychecks. So if they align strongly with your vision, you know, if you weight a scale of VC money versus the collective people, I'm sure there would be some balance. Like, it is interesting to say the least, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think we've realized that. And as our community continues to evolve around our venture, we're paying attention to it. So like I said, this project that we're exploring, I think it'll help. And I think it will really accelerate our fundraising goals, as well as just drive community and get people excited about the future of Ghana. You know, the emerging markets, Ghana specifically, it's a very stable economy. It's a place where people go to have a great time. People go to hang out with their family and people go for business opportunities. And so we're creating a platform where people can look at the amenities that we're providing and directly attach them to their business objectives and their business goals. Whether through banking or logistics, we are in essence a one-stop shop for all people in that consulting kind of capacity. So it's exciting and I think that blockchain and emerging technologies around crypto 
are definitely what are going to get us to where we need to go fairly quickly. If you talk to someone who's raising VC money, I'm assuming they've got traction, they're raising like a series A or B or whatever stage, they've got customers and all this kind of stuff. So are you at that similar level? Do you have proof of concept? Do you have part of the operation going? Is there anything you can share in that respect? Um, at that ground level, no. This crypto venture would be our first revenue or cash flow generating project. We've really just been operating at that investment fund level, bringing on investors, like I said, 2.1 so far, deploying that, preparing our documentation, our consultants, and the land. So to answer your question, no. This play would be our first. Right on. And it's probably the most nascent space in emerging. So I think, yeah, it's an accelerant for a lot of projects. And when crypto got big in 17, it was a buzzword. Every Goldman Sachs and bank wanted to have a blockchain team and all that. So I think we're still early. Like the internet didn't mature till 20, 30 years. So you're the first I heard of doing a smart city slash fundraising in this way. So it's exciting. And I guess my question is more, if you can shed some light into the VC fundraising process, are you saying will 10x your money or is there, I don't know, like a bottom-up approach of how you guys will make money? Do you guys have a money-making model kind of in your head or is that a little bit too confidential at this stage? Um, at a very high level, I can touch on it. So there's a banking play and that's just net interest margin. There's a telecoms play with the ICT network and that's just data. And then there's the residential, so leases. And there are some ancillary investments that are more in like the EV space, smart infrastructure space, things that we're exploring there. And that's more of the venture studio component, right? Like we want the experts to come onto our platform, activate their expertise, dream, and we'll provide the resources and the backing for them to go build what they need to build for our economy. So once we satisfy our needs internally, then we'll start exporting as much as possible. And we want to support Ghana, their needs and efforts, as well as neighboring African countries, as well as the rest of the world. Yeah, it's a very interesting concept. It's intriguing. So what makes a good city, country or government good or healthy or prosperous? And you can take the resources or like the tech play, talk about the US or Silicon Valley for all the multiple billion dollar companies. But then is it like you think of tourist areas where people come in to visit? So mm -hmm. what does a healthy economy look like? Because it sounds like you're building the infrastructure to bring Ghana on the map and to thrive and prosper. How do you design that from the ground up? Yeah. So from a macroeconomic perspective, we've had to do a lot of research around what is the business climate in Ghana, in West Africa. And so we've leaned on organizations like the World Bank and the IMF for their insights. But it was also really important for us to get on the ground in Ghana. Out of the years I've been working on this with my father and our team, those four months I spent in Ghana were the most profound. Attempting to drive 18 kilometers and that take you two hours, that was frustrating. But that also opened my eyes to the need for sound road infrastructure as a baseline. And then dreaming on top of that and say, you know, what kind of technology could we put in our roads? One glimpse is that if you look at constructing a road and you throw solar panels in it, it increases your cost by about 20%. But on the other side, it reduces your cost of producing EV vehicles drastically. 
So these are the type of technologies that we're exploring. These are the type of technologies that we think would be beneficial in the long term. The disparity between the ultra rich and then those who are not as fortunate, we want to bridge that gap. And we think that some of our social programs can help us do that. Don't get me wrong, though. Right. Our entire portfolio. Yes, we're doing good for people. Yes, we're providing access to people who traditionally would not have access. But there is an industrial arm to our operation where we're exploring things like large scale gold mining and oil drilling and shipping, even though less sustainable. Yes, but those things are needed in order to achieve the objectives and reach the people we want to reach for the greater good. Right on. So how do you acquire 26,000 acres? Do you go start knocking on doors? Do you talk to the government? I'm curious because I think I heard a story about China doing something similar. It might have been Africa as well. Like, I think they'll build infrastructure and then do some kind of leasing program. So I don't know if there's a correlation there, but where do you even start to knock on doors and say, I'm going to bid on land, for example? Yeah. So our first phone call was to just to my mother's extended family in Ghana. My mom, her family is, some people will say royalty. So we made that phone call and we just kind of shared our vision with them. And we were able to come in an arrangement with her family. That was the first 667 with options for more. And then her family made a phone call to a good friend, 10 kilometers north. We were able to achieve 859 acres with options to 5,000 more. And then interestingly enough, another family member is very well connected in the region. He's a pastor. And he had a family friend who had a substantial amount of land, about 24,000 acres, and a large global mining company was trying to get it. But we went and introduced ourselves and we talked to them and said, look, this is our vision. This is how we want to steward your land. And we actually beat out that mining company on that bid for the 24,000 acres. So that gives us confidence. I mean, to boost our balance sheet in terms of what's underneath the land. But it was just about relationships. It was about vision. It was the sense that, look, this is for all of us, you know, like we're all going to benefit from this as a people, as a nation, as a region, as a continent. When I say continent, we've gotten interest from other African countries about building or replicating our model. So we know that this is just the beginning. We know that specifically for this venture in Ghana, now that we've gotten the land and we've gotten these conditional approvals, it's just about building community now and letting people know that we're open for business and that we're a safe and trustworthy place for them to do business. Yeah, I think it is a value alignment here. And if a mining company, who knows where they're from, but they're foreign, they may have a very non-human approach to it and just very transactional and say, we're buying this at a blank check or whatever the number is and saying, okay, it's ours. We're going to take everything. And how do you resolve that? So you build a smart city. I'm assuming part of that could be mining. Part of that could be the greenery and the EV and the prosperity. So how do you balance the two when you design a whole city like that? Is it different sections or can you kind of, I guess you can't really dig under and still have a city, but I don't know if tunneling is an option. What does that look like? So a part of even working with the World Bank, for example, there are certain humanitarian efforts that you have to incorporate into your project according to their mandates. There are also certain tests that you have to do, environmental impact assessments. So there's one that's more theoretical and there's one that's very technical. It's part one and part two. And that will tell you essentially everything that's underneath the ground. That will tell you how this is going to impact neighboring communities, how it's going to impact sea defense in the next 50, 100 years, things of that sort. 
And so we're taking a holistic approach to our research, to our feasibility studies, and really coming to a place where we understand the opportunity that we have. And so everything that you've just mentioned between EVs, between tunneling, those are all things that have come across our desk. Those are all opportunities that we're exploring. I was just in New Jersey and I met a group who wants to build oceanic power generation. It happens to be a specialty of my father's. That's now a very big project that could essentially power our grid. So there's many components to it. There's many aspects. For us, it's about the technology, not being overbearing, but evolving the landscape that maybe traditional emerging markets might not have access to. We want you to feel like a mobile app can help you achieve your daily goals and objectives. The only reason you really need to leave a full service city is to go see family. And even then, bring your family here. Let's get them living in EcoCity Ghana. Through our investment plans, long-term plans, there's ways that we can achieve that. This isn't something that we could do alone. There are some significant partners and players on becoming involved. There's a lot of insurance. There's a lot of different mathematical equations that need to be calculated in order for this economy to balance itself and go around every day. Yeah, insurance is one of those things that I had, for example, thought about starting a car rental company and rent out Teslas. And in Ontario, no one wants to write an insurance policy. It's like no one really seems to want to take on that risk. So it's always like this veiled garden for me because I don't know, it just seems so specialized and never mind just renting a car, like designing a whole city, I think adds so much complexity. So I can only imagine it's a long process. And how do you find that with insurance companies? And what do you even ask for? What are you trying to insure exactly? That's a very loaded question. I think obviously the easiest point to jump to is our real assets, right? Like, so our buildings, that's, I think, objective number one and making sure that we're protected in case of emergency. I think in the banking operation, as that evolves and as we pursue a license and things of those sorts, our leverage is something that needs to have a close eye kept on. And just going through the due diligence process of everyone in our investment opportunities and our thesis is we just need to make sure that it's all for the good of our microeconomy, that it's all in alignment with the vision and the goals of the Ghanaian government and the office of the president. And look, we don't want to be disruptors in that sense, right? We're like, we're not in the political game, but the experts and the people that we bring on our team are going to have an opportunity to say how the future needs to be. And I think People's Way and Equal City Ghana is the perfect platform for them to do that. Sounds amazingly ambitious, which just listening to it just gets me really excited. And I personally can't wait to hear more. So what's phase one in terms of construction phase or planning and architectural stage? Are you looking at a certain amount of fundraise before you can take that step? Or are you waiting for certain deadlines, let's say? before you move on to the next level? In high finance, and I'm learning this, there are a lot of different ways to structure financing for business ventures, for project financing. And we have some world-class consultants and advisors. Some have worked for Big Four, some are in investment banking. And these people are creative. My mind is blown when I speak to them because they can do a lot with what they have or what we have access to at the moment. And so, all the different investment schemes, I think it's gonna allow us to break ground fairly soon. We'll have shovels in the ground. We plan on having a ceremony, inviting who needs to be invited. That breaking ground, I know for sure at this stage, it's gonna include a world-class medical facility, a hospital, a research center, 
and then a medical manufacturing facility. That's going to be included near the water. We're also looking at extrapolating that lagoon that is on our land, building a resort, a large infinity pool, condo, hotel, some office space, and a sales office. That's on the Ghanaian side. Remember at the beginning, I said I'm trying to connect our developments in Ghana to the U.S. And so, for example, we're exploring the acquisition of a golf course to set up as like one of our global office spaces. And so all of that construction is going to start breaking ground, which means that we just got to hustle our butts in terms of permits and financing and things of that sort. But it's definitely possible. And I think we're on the right track. It's about as specific as I can get. You know, when you're talking about things like world-class, I want to assume that all this ambition is tying into do the first of a lot of things. So you talked about generating power from the ocean and all this. Like a lot of these are probably, I haven't researched, but I'm assuming very innovative ideas to the region and you do some napkin math and you're going to make returns on all of this. It's going to be prosperous and people's quality of life just by enjoyment and services and everything. It really does sound transformational. So I'm going to be very, very curious to watch this as it develops. And Cal and I will have to definitely do a trip sometime. We're going to have to see as this unfolds. And I'd love to be a tourist and visit. Absolutely. When you guys are ready to come to Ghana, let me know. We'll make it happen. No problem. It would be exciting. But yeah, look, I'm not shy to say it. This thing started as a dream. And I just give glory to God that we have been able to get on the ground, secure the land, get the approvals. We have a firm foundation to stand on now. You know, like the calls that are coming in about people wanting to invest in our project, they're humbling. So as we continue to navigate those, we plan on being 100% transparent about everything that goes on within our portfolio. And it's fun to get down to the operational level and implement new technology and build out digital presence. The world's about to be a different place. Yeah, definitely lead by example. And I think you can almost productize this whole city. So you mentioned the office in the States. Do you see it working well in Ghana? And do you try a smart city in the States? Do you think there's any kind of obstacles that where the economics wouldn't work or would they work better? What are your thoughts on like the copy paste model in different areas? Yeah, so we have a replicable model. However, our current model, the model that's been tailored to Ghana would not work in the US. The economics are just different. Labor, materials, cost base is just different. So in that sense, it was strategic to do this in Ghana first, but that means that we need to make it, when I say big enough, I mean create a large enough buzz around it so that people say, wow, this model is unique to Ghana, but it can also work in other African countries, which we intend to do. We can do maybe a prototype or sales office or smaller buildings, or maybe showcase the technology in different ways in the U.S., in line with that, some of our partners, so different universities that we're teaming up with, they're excited to have prototype showcase type amenities implemented into their campus plans so that people are coming to visit colleges, people are students, they can get involved directly with our organization. So it's like different chapters around the country that we think will help bolster that sense of community, different conferences and events. So it's not just construction, banking, ICT, it's media. It's community. It's big. It's really big. Piece by piece, little by little, we will get there. Is a saying that kind of floats around in the firm right now and that my parents are instilling in me every day to keep me motivated and to keep going. I just try to get my head around it and I'm just thinking how every single detail needs to be covered. And the fact that you're 
getting so close right now to breaking ground. It's incredibly admirable. I'm lost for words, for real. It's just absolutely fantastic. And correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I think as well, perhaps that the model would work better starting with Ghana than perhaps trying to replicate it in the United States, the potential that's there. There's a reason why people like to go to emerging markets when it comes to financiers and big funds is because there is the potential for growth, the potential for boom and the upside potential in terms of the benefits there. And the same, I think, would go for Ghana in terms of the community, the people, the area, the land and the neighboring countries surrounded, the potential of growth would be much, much bigger than perhaps the United States where, you know, to put it very, very simply, basically wouldn't perhaps require as much as a big city for example, to be created in that sense there where starting with somewhere with gone with so much upside and so much hunger and potential and aspiration, I think that's what makes it more attractive. That's exactly it. You hit it right on the head. Really, really cool stuff. So what are your biggest obstacles as you kind of discover? I think a lot of it's going to be new, right? Such a ambitious kind of thing. What are your biggest headwinds that seem to kind of hold you back. I'm curious about how you overcome those things because it seems like you're a very smart dude and you got all these cool ideas. Do you have any things that are holding you back? I'm curious about, you know, your thought process there. Yeah. One of the easy things is in terms of fundraising and being able to hop on calls or Zooms. It was difficult when I was in Ghana this last time around, I think for six weeks. The network can't really support some of the international data transfer. There are so many deals coming across my desk, opportunities. It's really important for me to stay focused on the core of what's going to get this thing up off the ground. And I've really had to flex my no muscles to say, you know, that's a great idea, but we can't start with that. Or, you know, I think it's great to implement that, but is that generating revenue to really bolster us up at this stage? And it's been unfortunate because some amazing projects have come along, but got to stay focused. So I'd say those are my two biggest hurdles right now. I'm excited about having a stake in streamlining travel from the U.S. or from North America to West Africa. The CEO of Delta Airlines is an alum at my school. And so as things progress, I think we're going to explore some ways to make that as efficient as possible. But yeah, those are my burdens right now. Making sure that I have really solid, solid, solid people on our cap table, solid investors, value-added investors, people that are passionate about the venture and not necessarily just looking for a return. I think it's important that you have some skin in the game. I think it's important that you feel a deeper sense of passion for exactly how we want to be on the ground, exactly the people that we want to reach. You know, I'm all about every single person being able to pursue their passion having the purchasing power to do that. And I actually remember before I left my university, just feeling so convicted about not having to separate my passion and my work life from my faith life. And I've taken a lot of risk and made some really extreme decisions, I think, in that regard, in terms of my baseline is I'm not going to separate the two, right? I want what I do, I want the life I live to be 100% integrated with my faith. And I think that where I stand today, I've achieved that. And so I'm excited to continue to walk this. I know what's bigger than me. And I think that bolsters up my sense of reliance on my faith, carrying out such a big vision. And I just hope that those are the kind of people that I'm aligned with, people that feel like it's more than money, more than them, and about just making the world a better place at the end of the day. Really, really awesome stuff. And 
you know, you just said it well, which is when you can align your passions and your beliefs into something bigger, I think the inevitability of success is there and how much you're going to learn as you go along. And it does really sound like you have an amazing team and a lot of minds invested in this common outcome. So continued success. We'd love to follow along. And where can people find you if they want to reach out, contribute, help raise money or invest? My Twitter handle is DTA7 underscore PE, private equity. That's really it. Yeah, just hit me up anytime. Love talking to people, love meeting new people, love hearing your ideas. Let's figure out a way to get you involved. Awesome. It's just been an absolute mind-blowing hour. What a cool project. And we'll both be following along. We'll make sure we reach out when we're ready to fly over. It's going to be an exciting time. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much, John and Kyle. You guys have been great. I appreciate so much what you guys are doing. This has been an incredible platform. And I look forward to the future that we're going to build together. David, thank you. I just want to say, please keep us posted. Feel free to come on the show anytime to keep us going with the updates on the project, because to me, this is absolutely next level and I can't wait to hear what's next. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Absolutely. Awesome. Cheers. All the best. So with that said, let's wrap up today's episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of Methodical Millions where you can better your future and better yourself. Thanks, everyone.